we've been talking about um, the B-sides. And what we mean by the B-sides are if you are, well, if you're my generation and older, you understand what B-sides are. But if you're like my daughter, she probably has no idea what the heck we're talking about besides we're talking about um, you know like a cassette tape or the records they used to have the most popular songs on the front side they called it the A side and then you flip it over it's the B sides and the one that really didn't get very much airtime right and so that's kind of what we're talking about we're talking about different stories in the Bible different people in the Bible who just didn't get quite as much airtime they're not the ones that you often hear as much about so you know a lot of times you'll hear about like Jesus or Noah or David or whoever, right? But sometimes there's other stories in there that we don't hear about that are super important, but they just don't get as much airtime because either they're, you know, this long or they just get mentioned or we don't know why that was important. And so today we're actually going to be, we're going to be talking about another one of those unsung heroes. And he really, he gets about three total pages of scripture. And I'm guessing... A lot of you probably haven't heard his name, unless you talk to me, because he's one of my favorites. But um, a lot of people haven't heard his name. He's not one of the big, well-known people in scripture. He was not a famous apostle. He didn't build any, like, big buildings or temples or anything like that. He worked a really humble job. And he actually, he wasn't even the top dog at his job. He was just a guy at the job. And, you know... He didn't, it doesn't seem like he made a lot of money at least. Um, and by all the outside appearances, actually kind of seemed like he might have actually failed at what he came to do when it, when time, when the time came, it kind of seemed like actually maybe everything fell apart. And so I don't know, maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Have any of you had a moment like that where you're like, I don't, I'm not the top dog at my work. I just have a regular everyday job. I'm not TikTok famous, right? <laughs> um, you might feel even like sometimes you're failing at your job. You're like, I'm trying, but I'm giving it my best, but I'm average at best, <laughs> right? And you know what? I think the, the thing about this story is that even though this guy was not one of the top dogs, he didn't make the headlines, his story really did make a difference. And if you're wondering if your story can make a difference, the answer is absolutely yes, it can. You don't have to be the most famous. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be faithful and willing. And so he, this guy was really success, successful in the sense that he was super faithful to whatever God required of him. And so I think one of the things I just want to get across as we're going into the message today is that it's not the uniform that you put on during the day or the, the assignment on your plate that defines your story. Those things are going to change in your life. They'll shift. They're going to change. But your faithfulness to God, his calling and his purposes on your life, those remain strong. And they can change everything if you stay faithful to them. And so the man that we're going to be talking about today, his name is Stephen. How many of y'all how many of y'all know who Stephen is? Just like I thought. Okay, so uh, we're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 6 and 1 through 7 is where we're going to start. We're going to read through his story. If you guys don't have a Bible or you're not sure how to get there, we're going to be putting those up on the screen, so don't stress about it. But please do take the Bible in the seat back if you don't have one. Those are free. You can take them home. We bought enough. We have plenty of them. Someone was so kind and purchased a lot of them so we could give as many Bibles away as possible. So please take one if you don't have one. It's, it's free for you. All right. So let's go ahead. 
And we're going to go ahead and uh, jump in. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Hang on one second. Sorry, my computer's being weird right now. All right. So, as the believers rapidly multiply... Oh, sorry. Actually, let me give you a little preface. Um, we're at a moment right now where Jesus had just passed away, okay? Jesus went up to heaven, commissioned the disciples to go and build the church. And so we're at a moment where actually the church is, like, exploding. Things are, like, they're kicking off. Stuff's going great. And so this is where Stephen steps in. He's it's just like, he's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm going to play my part. I'm going to help with whatever you guys need. So that's where we're at. So here's what it says. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent that the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, seeing that their widows were being discriminated against daily in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should be spending our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, so select seven men who are well-respected and who are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Sorry, my computer's being super weird. So notice that they didn't say it wasn't important. They just said they needed to have a solution for it, okay? So everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenos and Nicholas of Antioch. Okay, guys, I did, I Googled those, but I still messed it up, so just give me a little grace, okay? All right, so he was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. So God's, mes so God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So just kind of a quick summary here of what's happening Anytime you have a really fast-growing movement, um, the structure that's in place has to change in order for you to make room for more growth. How many of you have ever been a part of something that was like either a startup or something that was like moving really fast? And you couldn't, you don't, you have to stay flexible. You have to be able to change positions and roles really quick because things are changing. You got to make room for whatever is happening next. So this is what's happening in the church at that time. And so because of the growth. Um, there was quite a few, they were likely born outside of the country, um, widows who were being overlooked, and probably most likely because they didn't speak the native language of that place. And so they needed people who specifically spoke Greek to be able to care for these women, and that's where Stephen enters in. And so one factor that contributed to Stephen being chosen and all the other men was that they were Greek. And so as you watched me struggling with pronouncing their names, I was looking up how to say them in the Greek dictionary, which tells you that they are Greek. They were Greek names. And so they were people that were chosen specifically because they knew how to speak that language. So I think it's just so important to just take a moment and say, hey, God made you specifically, knowing your hardships, knowing your cultural information, knowing the language that you speak or multiple languages that you speak, the abilities that you have, and your purpose. Even those little details are important in everything that you do. God sees it, and he knew it, and he planned it ahead of time. And so Stephen was appointed to these people for this moment because of who he was physically just as much as who he was spiritually. And so we meet Stephen, 
at this grand moment where he is being appointed to, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, you guys. This is, I gotta, I gotta escape out of this. All right. So we meet Stephen at this grand moment where he's basically being appointed to the task of waiting tables. He, he has been given the opportunity to pass out food. And some of us are going, yay, if that was my job, I'd be like, cool. I did that when I was 16, when I worked at McDonald's. And he's like a grown man, right, being appointed to do this simple task. And so, no, he was not an apostle. No, he was not a preacher. He was not even the leader of the food program that they had. But it did not mean that his role didn't matter or that he wasn't powerful. It said that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And so we tell you guys just about every week that you guys can reach people in your sphere that we pastors cannot. And so you don't have to be a preacher to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of purpose and full of power. We need people who are full of the Holy Spirit who are willing to do ordinary things to reach ordinary people in their ordinary neighborhoods and their ordinary places of work. We need you to be you right where you are. So you're in your community for a reason. You probably actually see things that other people around you don't see. You probably notice the messes that other people don't mess, let, don't notice, right? That's because of, that's how God created you. He created you to see that, not the person next to you, because he wants you to be the solution, right? So in church, we call that a calling. It's the thing that you were created to help solve. That's your calling. And so in your world, you probably see messes. And you probably um, know that it needs someone who's going to commit to making a change, who's going to change things for the, for the good, who's not afraid to get their hands dirty, right? And this widow situation was a mess. But Stephen was like, hey, I speak the language. I can do it, right? And he was appointed with seven other men because of that. So will we be faithful when it doesn't come with a prestigious title or a high status and it looks like hard work? Are we willing to put in the grunt work of things like peeling potatoes or scrubbing some floors or changing some diapers or running a 5K so you can raise money for children who need clean water through World Vision? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know... All those things matter because there's people on the other side of those things who need God's hope and freedom. And I just want to say that just because it's not sometimes a spiritual need that you're providing doesn't mean that it's not holy. People's physical needs matter just as much. And people can feel God's love when you provide a need for them, their physical need. So they're both really important. Both are part of our calling. We need to provide for people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. They both matter. So that's the good news, right? Good news is that God cares for your whole self. So here's what I know about how God works it, when he creates us for our calling. One of the things that I want to say is that he often shapes us for greatness in places of obscurity. And every athlete knows this, that when it comes time for your competition, that if you did not put in the work beforehand, you're going to struggle when it comes time for the competition, right? Last year, I did this. 
12K, or sorry, the half marathon, and I did not train for this, okay, people? I literally walked that. I was like, I'm going to walk it. It's going to be fine. We get there, and the lady who's, like, timing us in the back is, like, Speedwalker Miss USA of the world because she's so fast. I'm like, you did not tell me that your walking pace is my sprinting pace. And so I was not prepared. <laughs> so this year I was like, I'm going to be prepared <laughs> because I did not put in the work last time, and I kind of regretted it. So you guys know <laughs> that you've got to put in the work in the background when nobody else is looking you got to be worried to do you got to be able to do the hard work when you're not getting any accolades for it, right? There's no perks, there's no status, there's no praise. You haven't won anything. You're just doing it cuz you hope that it's going to make a difference one day. And so if we try to live out our calling for the blessings, but we're not willing to be shaped in obscurity, we will never be able to carry the weight when it gets hard. And that's going to happen. It's hard sometimes when you're living out your calling. Not everybody understands. Obstacles come up. You've got to solve problems that might be really big. And you've got to be ready for it. You better have put in the work when no one else was looking so that you're ready. And that's what Stephen was. He's like, yes, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. i got stuff in me, but I'm not afraid to be shaped in obscurity. I'm not afraid to be shaped by handing out some cookies. I'm not afraid to do some of the grunt work. I'm going to be shaped in obscurity. It's cold. It feels good. All right. So the thing about our calling is that it's not just for us, but it's for the people that we're called to serve. And following God doesn't usually, I shouldn't say usually, following God doesn't always result in us being what this world will call hashtag blessed, how many of you guys see people's, like, posts, and they're, like, posting all their good moments, and they're, like, I'm at Disney World, hashtag blessed. I'm in Paris, hashtag blessed. I just got my promotion. I'm driving my Jaguar, hashtag blessed, right? That's what the world says is blessed. But if you actually look at what Jesus says is blessed, it's, like, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to like this. Okay, so if you look in, the, there's this thing called the Beatitudes that he wrote. I'm not even going to cover them all. I'm going to just, like, speed through this. But Jesus said, here's how you know who's blessed. God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And then skipping forward, he says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what's right. Yes, just what I was hoping for. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. If you're new around here, you're probably going, what the heck are you people into around here? Like, why are you doing this? What are you in this for? <laughs> like, crowns in heaven? What? What are you talking about? Right? And some of you just thought, okay, I, I like, maybe I'm going to peace out, okay? Um, but listen, Jesus wasn't saying, go be poor, go be sad. He's saying the blessing isn't in the stuff. It's not in the stuff. 
Taka kind of like preached half of my sermon at the beginning. I was like, all right, you're either setting me up for this or you're going to take the whole thing right now. Okay, but he said, <laughs> he said, it's not in the stuff. It's not in the titles. Purpose and meaning, they're not found in the good times. They're not found in what the world says is blessed. We find our purpose and our meaning when we're going through the really hard stuff. We found it when we were having a lot of pain. And we're going, I wish someone was here with me in this moment. I wish something would change in my situation. I wish that someone knew that I just needed to be loved in this way. And that's when we receive our purpose and our calling. It's because when we get through on the other side, God's like, tag, you're it. You know how it feels to be on the other side of that. So now you go and you do something about it. Right? <laughs> I think someone just got called out. Um, <laughs> so, listen, your purpose and meaning, they're, they're found in your failures, your loss, your flaws. So if you've got a lot of those, you're in a good, you're in a good place. So you've got a calling on your life, right? And those of you who've lived through it and you've stayed through with Jesus, through to the other side of it, you know you know what Jesus is talking about. And you're like, yeah, that is blessing. Because in those moments when I was going through the hardest things in my life, that's when I was the closest to him. That's when I had the most unexplainable joy. Because in those moments, you didn't have the things of the world standing in your way to distract you from seeing what the real blessings in life are. And you had that unexplainable joy because you know that none of those negative things now in your life you can go through everything in the world, but none of them have the power to take you out anymore because you've survived it. The wounded are dangerous, right? The wounded are dangerous when they survive and they get to the other side because they know won't take, what won't take them out anymore. They know. And so you know that the blessing comes from being completely reliant on Jesus and watching him transform you while he performs miracle after miracle, after miracle in your life. Real blessing is not in a title. It's not in your wealth. It's not in your status. It's having purpose and knowing Jesus. That is real blessing. And wealth, status, those things are fine. They're not bad. I'm not telling you that it's awful if you have those things. If you have them, use them for good. Do good stuff with it. Go for it. I'm all for it. But as long as you know, that's not, that's not it. That's not the real blessing in life. And so if we're in this Christianity thing just to get what the world calls blessings, we're probably most likely going to walk away the moment that it stops benefiting us or when things get hard. The moment that we're sitting in our dark moment and we're going, I don't know if I can follow Jesus because he's not doing what I want him to do. Right? And Jesus is like, I didn't say that. <laughs> He's like, actually, I told you things were going to be really hard and that the blessings were going to come through through that. But, you know. Anyways, sorry. So are you in it with Jesus or are you going to quit before you get your blessing? Don't quit when it gets hard, but stay faithful because that's where it starts to get really good. And we're about to see in Stephen's story where it gets really good. 
So let's read on. It's Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15, and it says this. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Just a reminder, he he worked at a food program. He was not, he didn't have a big job, but he was still going out and doing great things. It wasn't his title that had him doing great things, right? But one day, some men from the synagogue of the freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. And none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. Okay, so let's just pause here for a moment. And let's just talk about the synagogue of the freed slaves real quick. So under Roman rule, even freed slaves were stuck at a certain social status or caste. They weren't really able to, like, climb up the ladder. We're kind of in a country where you can, sometimes you can, we say, pull your up, yourself up by the bootstraps, right? Really, that's not true. You need help. But you can at least climb the ladder if you want to, right? You can at least apply for another job. These guys, they were known as freed slaves, and they were stuck in their social class. That was it for them. That's where they were. And so even though they had been free, they weren't necessarily like fully free to just go out and do whatever they wanted to do in our sense of the word that we have here in the U.S. And so notably, um, when I was listing off those countries or those, those places that they were from, um, they were all Greek-speaking Roman-conquered areas. So again, we see Stephen right away. He relates to them way more than the apostles could have. And so they're in the synagogue. We know that they're, they have a Jewish religion, and Stephen is a Christian. And so he's coming to tell them about Jesus. And so they were not prepared for that. <laughs> so it's, when Stephen starts pushing on their buttons and their traditions and talking about Jesus, because he's one of the ones that can because he speaks their language, he realizes that he's starting to tell them, that Jesus is about to upend the way that they do things. And I can imagine for these people at this time, their traditions, their way of life, their religion was maybe one of the only things that had not been taken from them. Was the one thing that they could hold on to that they had that was theirs. And so they were not really liking the fact that Stephen's coming in here and he's like, here's Jesus, and he's going he's gonna to change everything about your life, and he wants you to do this, and it's going to change this, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But they're like, excuse me, I'd like my life. I'm, this is the one thing that I have. Please don't try to take that away. But I think some, someone in the room needs to hear today that just because you needed something to survive the last season does not mean it's supposed to go with you to the next. It might have been what helped you hobble through, but it's not going to help you be powerful in the next season. It's too heavy to carry to the next season. you got to let it go, right? Drop it. That's right. Hold on. So here's what happens next. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God, which was punishable by death. And this roused the people the elders, and the teachers of the religious law. And so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. 
the lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses, and we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Like I told y'all, they were not like, they were not happy about that. And at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Okay, I just want to focus on that for, <laughs> for a second. How many of you guys have ever seen a person who just, like, glows? Like, everything about them, they're just so full of, like, joy and passion. I, like, I, I'm going to call her out, Nishi, Venus. If you guys don't know them, they are two people that every time I talk to them, they're just so full of joy, so full of life. And I think it's, like, easy sometimes to look at people who are like that and to be like, is that even real? He's not for real. Are they faking that? Is that like, is that like, can someone actually be that happy? Is anyone like really that passionate about Jesus? And we watch people in worship and we see them clapping and raising their hands and then we're like, are you really that excited about that, right? And we wonder if that's even possible to be that passionate or if it's real. And I think, you know, who struggles with that the most? It's people who've been religious for a long time, right? Um, sometimes as Christians, we grow old in our faith. We get, um, we get into our midlife crisis, right? And we're like, this is, I'm bored, you know? Like, we get comfortable. We get comfortable, and we don't want things to change, and we get dull. It's like when you get, graduate from your 20s into your 30s, and you used to want to be at everything, but now you just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, Right? And we get that way in our faith sometimes. We just want to sit down and watch everything happen instead of participating in it. And we might even question or be bothered by youthful passion. And that's the vibes that I'm picking up from these, these uh, freed slaves, synagogue men, okay? And you know what's crazy about that is that these people did know what it felt like to be set free. They knew how awesome it was. They knew that it was going to be life-changing. But any time a life-changing opportunity comes along, you know what that means. you got to change stuff. And some of us really don't like change, do we? I hate change. I hate change. I'm just going to say that. I hate it. Like if I have a different creamer, if I have the wrong creamer in my coffee in the morning, I'm like off the whole day. Like it's stupid. It's small, right? But like, I, I want to carry the same purse for 10 years. But my husband is like, Natalie, that purse is literally falling apart. You have to go buy a new one. This happened to me last year. He's like, Natalie, that is a gross. Like, get a new purse. I want to keep the same one because I'm used to it. I'm comfortable with it, right? Change is painful. It's hard. So you got to give up some stuff. And if you've ever been through anything really, really hard... And you've thought, I'm so grateful for the lessons of that, but I never want to do that again. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I think 2020, we all, that was like the year, right, that we were all like, grateful for the lessons. Let's not do that again, please, right? And so <laughs> I think it's important for us believers to realize that the goal is not just to avoid pain. It's to live. It's to live, to faithfully live the calling that God has put on our life. And that means we need to be in the presence of God often, letting him change us, letting him do new things in us, letting him teach us new things. Some of us haven't thought, like, 
heard anything new from God or learned anything new from God because we haven't spent time there with him. And we're wondering why we feel like their passion can't be real. It's because we haven't had any fresh word from God. So like Taka said, we don't just eat one big meal and count it good for the rest of our life. We got to eat every day. We need to be encountering God every day as much as we can, right? Every day has new needs, new hurts, new wounds that we need him for every day. And if we're doing it right, he's going to expose some things. He's going to ask us to change things and to give some things up that aren't serving us well, that don't belong in our next season. They're too heavy for us to carry to the next season. But I have good news for you. God only ever asks you to hand things over that really serve to destroy you. He doesn't ask you to give over things that are going to grow you, make you stronger. He asks you to give over things that are destroying you. And so you know that when you remove things that seek to destroy you, it's a ripple effect. You see one good thing change, and you're like, oh, I'm, I like this. I'm going to do it again. And you keep going, and it's a ripple effect in your life. But not only is it a ripple effect in your life, it's a ripple effect in everyone else who touches your life because they see the good in you, and then they're like, oh, I want to change. And they make all this good thing, right? And I'm studying family therapy right now in my master's degree, and it's like when one person changes – the whole, it's like in a mobile, right? When one, one person moves, the whole thing moves. It's a ripple effect when you make a change. So the freedmen didn't know that comfort was actually the thing keeping them and the people in their lives from true freedom, true freedom, right? So when God calls you, it's not just for you. It's for those you're called to serve. And we're called to do whatever we can so that we and other people can be free, we're called to be multipliers, have a domino effect, a ripple effect in our life. And so are we, are we willing to be faithful to God when it means we're going to have to make some changes and to put in some hard work to maybe take on new pain? Or are we afraid of that pain? Some of us may have believed in God at one point, but we've taken the road of comfort when, and then we wonder why we're stuck wondering why we don't love life, we can't find our purpose, we wonder why we don't glow with passion like those other people that we see. So if that's you today, leaders included, some of y'all just need to get filled up again. You just need to come back to the altar and be like, all right, God, fill me up again. I'm going to start over. Let's try this one more time. One time wasn't enough. I'm going to keep going throw our, our, our pride aside and come get some prayer. Get commissioned. Go serve. Because where your passion will grow, wherever your energy is planted. So if you want passion, sow some energy. Okay. So after they tried to set him up, Stephen goes off. He actually performs another miracle, which is he basically puts the whole Old Testament into two pages worth of a sermon. That is a task. <laughs> and then he tells them this whole time. <laughs> this is why they got mad. He tells them the whole time that both their ancestors and they got it wrong. They did not understand it. And he was implicating their ancestors in the death of the Old Testament pro uh, prophets. And now he's saying, 
Oh, by the way, also, it's your fault also that Jesus was crucified. And so, obviously, they're like, uh, what, what? Not happy about this. So we move on. Acts 7, 54 to 58 says, the Jewish leaders were obviously infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. And then they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And it wasn't like, you know, just like pebbles, you know, like, you know, like grab pea graveling, drink pea gravel. No, they're like big stones when they stoned somebody. They were like death blows that they were throwing at him. So I don't know if any of you just like picture this moment, Stephen being like, your ancestors killed the prophets and you killed Jesus. And you kind of like just cringe a little bit because like, I don't know about you, but like I hate stirring the pot. I hate drama. I see like drama in the comments on like Instagram or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> like just instantly get overwhelmed. And I'm like, I'm not going there. Right. And I'm just like, I don't have time for your people's drama. But Stephen, like, woke up that morning and chose violence. And he was like, give me the spoon. I'm going in. And he was just like, I'm going for it. I'm going to stir up everything. I'm going to make sure they all hear about what I have to say. And he was like, but for, for Stephen, he was like, faithfulness for him meant there was no other option to stir up the pot. Okay. Any, and, and all the Enneagram 8s are like, Yep, because you love stirring the pot, don't you, Taka? <laughs> uh, anyways, love you. Um, but for him, there was no other option because he knew that they needed to be free from that archaic old system that they were living by. And they had so many rules that they had to obey and follow, 613 of them. And they were so, like, focused on and in love with their rules that that was, like, what they lived for. I don't know about you, but I'm, like, I struggle with, like, 10. Like, can you imagine 613? No wonder Jesus said that for the law leads to death. Duh. I could not imagine trying to remember 613 rules every single day. And, but then Jesus also said, but the spirit is life. And he also said, he changed the whole thing up, like I said, and he said, now the whole law can be summed up in two commands. I like this. Okay, just two. He says, love, you guys know it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Simple, but not easy, right? Simple, but not easy, and it's going to take everything from you, right? So even in this moment, when these men lied about him, said evil things about him, he was, he was blessed the way Jesus said, right? As they betrayed him, he was just kept trying to free them. So can we be faithful to speak about Jesus when faithfulness means being unpopular? Or even when we're being betrayed by people? Sometimes friends, sometimes people within the church. Can you still stay faithful and keep going? Because you know they still need to be free. And your love 
is bigger than your fear, right? Stephen had no idea what his faithfulness was about to do, and he had really no reason to hope while they stood there stoning him. But he kept his eyes on Jesus, and he kept believing for them in faith, even as they were stoning him, while he was throwing, they were throwing giant rocks at him because he had an eternal perspective. He wasn't worried about if his message would fail. He wasn't worried if they were going to get mad at him. He was worried what would happen if he didn't try. And I think that's an attitude that we have to develop if we want to be successful in this. And my old pastor used to say, it's not about me and it's not about now. And it's stuck with me all these years. It's not about me and it's not about now. It's about God and what he wants. It's about setting people free. It's about spreading the good news of who he is. And so then we move on in Acts 7 to 58 to 81, and it says, His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he completely agreed with killing Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. There's a lot happening here, okay? And I think one of the things to remember is that literally he's praying for them. He's praying for his murderers as he's being stoned to death. Can you imagine that? I don't know if I could do it. I mean, something wants me to say like you would do it, but I don't know. I don't know that I would do that. I get mad when someone like insults me, you know? Could we do that? He didn't know what his faithfulness was going to do. He didn't know that the man who was approving his execution, Saul, would eventually have his own encounter with God and would be renamed Paul, who turned out to be the writer of half of the New Testament, one of the most prolific missionaries of our time. He didn't know that. He had no idea. He didn't know this was going to end up with the disciples doubling down because they wanted to be like Stephen, matching his courage. He didn't know that. Courageous like Stephen the waiter. He didn't know that. He didn't know that the believers were going to be scattered into Judea and Samaria. Do any of you guys recall another verse that was like this? It's what Jesus said to his disciples. It was the prophecy he gave them. He said, you're going to do greater things than me. And you're going to bring my word to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Stephen the waiter did not know that he was going to be the beginning. He was starting the catalyst moment for how the gospel was going to be spread across the world. He didn't know that. All he knew in that moment was that maybe it kind of looked like he failed because not only did he get killed, but also a bunch of other believers started to be persecuted. And it If we looked at it short-sightedly, we would think he failed like big time. 
But in the end, he didn't know that his faithfulness would be the catalyst that set the gospel across the entire world. Dang. That's crazy. We don't know what our faithfulness will do. But we can be sure that our faithfulness will eventually produce a ripple effect for good. And as we wrap up, I just want to put courage into you today. Just to embrace whatever faithfulness looks like for you in this season. Maybe some of you are being blessed with some hardships in your work is maybe a little bit hidden. Nobody knows about the things that you do behind the scenes. And some maybe it's getting hard for you to keep going even. And maybe if some of you have been watching those passionate people and you're like, I, I want that back. I want that back. I want to be that passionate again. Maybe some of you have been neglecting your call to serve. You've been a little too big for your britches. And it's time for you to get down and dirty and serve some people. Maybe some of us need to get refilled again with the Holy Spirit. We need, we need God to fill us with a fresh infilling. Maybe some of us need to make some changes and we're afraid it might hurt a little bit. Right? And maybe some of us are in that dark place where it looks really hopeless. Maybe it looks like you're, you failed. And you don't know if your faithfulness is going to matter. But I'm here to remind you to keep staying faithful because you don't know the good that might come from your faithfulness. So don't give up. Don't give up. So whatever that is for you, I just want to encourage you. If you could just stand with me. You just stand with me for a moment. And if anything in that message just spoke to you and you're going, that's me, I need faith. I need to up my faithfulness or I need God to give me strength to be faithful. Just reach up your hands and just begin to ask him for whatever it is that you need. God, I pray that you would stir up faithfulness in every person in this room. I pray that we would be pushed and encouraged to step out of our comfort zone and be faithful in the big and the small, whether it comes with a title or it doesn't, whether it hurts or not. God, would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit? Would you give us fresh passion, fresh vision? Would you give us your word? Would you encourage us? We want to be faithful to you. And if there's anyone in this room who has not committed their life to you, but is ready, Lord. We just, we just say, God, would you fill them? Would you fill them? Would you meet them right where they're at? Would you show them what it means to follow you? So Jesus, we recommit again. We give you ourselves. And we ask you to do great things even through our small acts of faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome job, Nat. Um, stepping on my toes, 
uh, I just keep thinking about what she was talking about where Stephen had no idea what was on the other side of his yes, right? It wasn't like they were asking him, hey, can you come uh, an hour earlier? It's like, oh, that's super inconvenient. You know, it's like, hey, um, will you give your life for this? It's like, ah, it's not really part of my plan, right? I think about where, where Jesus, when he called his disciples one by one, he, he didn't say, and here's the retirement plan, here's a salary package, and here's what's going to happen on Tuesdays, and, you know, here's going to be about three years, and something's going to happen, it's going to be all right. He didn't give them the whole plan. He goes, follow me. That's it. That's all the information you get right now. And Psalms talks about the word of the Lord is a, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And sometimes we get a path illuminated. It's rare, but sometimes we do. A lot of times it's just on our feet. It's just enough to say the next yes. And I want you to think about your life. I mean, how many times have you, you know, someone invites you to go out and you're like, oh, I don't want to. Or Can we have lunch with this person? Oh, I don't want to. But you said yes. And for many of us in the room, changed our lives. These are some life-changing moments that happened on the other side of that yes. To meet that person you never thought you would meet. To have that business connection. That I mean, you look at even your career path, your relationships were on the other side of a yes that seemed really insignificant, seemed really inconvenient. You didn't want to do it in the moment, but it made all the difference in the world. And the reason why I bring that up is none of us know what's on the other side of that yes. And if you're looking for clarity, if you're looking for the long-term plan, you're just not going to get it. You're going to be waiting forever. So what's God asked you to do that you want him to tell you to do something else? Like I, I, all the time people come, talk, can you pray for me? I just want God to tell me what to do. All right. What has he already told you to do that you've decided not to do? We want to, you know, do, what's behind door number two, God, <laughs> right? And God's like, hey, before you want something new, why don't you be faithful to what I've already asked you to do? And that may mean going back months, maybe even years to go, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say yes to that. And then tomorrow I'm going to say yes to that again. And when it's inconvenient, I'm going to say yes to that again. Long after it stops being fun, long after it stops being new, when it starts hurting because it's a sacrifice, you continue to say yes to it. And then what's crazy is that becomes a flywheel. That's how you get momentum in your walk with God. Yeses become bigger yeses become bigger yeses. Small faithfulness becomes bigger faithfulness becomes bigger faithfulness. So... It's my challenge, but here's the thing. I don't know what God's asked you to do, but I bet you do. So what would it look like? What would it look like for you to say yes to what God had asked you to do? And my hunch is that the Holy Spirit's really good at leading people. It's really good at guiding people. And so our job is to be faithful. That's it. Not to attend more church service, not to sing more songs, not to write bigger checks. Your job is to be faithful to what God has asked you to do. And that's it. You don't have to be faithful to what God has asked me to do. So some may try to guilt you into doing this or that. That's on them. What has God asked you to do? And are you doing that? You worry about you, right? So uh, with that, uh, 
Hope that encourages you, challenges you, maybe reminds you of something. Uh, but every time we gather, we take a free will offering. If you want to be a part of that, uh, you, there's ways to give uh, on the screen or on the seat back in front of you. If you're a cash or checks person, there's an envelope and boxes and all that good stuff. Um, if you want to get more connected or if maybe something challenged you today and you want to talk about it, or maybe something bothered you today and you want to talk about it in a good or a bad way, and you're like, oh, I need to process this with somebody, all right? Fill out a connection card. I'd love to grab lunch or grab coffee with you or maybe a great time to hop in a small group and talk about some of that together, yeah. all right? Um, but every time we, uh, we dismiss, uh, there are people that want to stay back and worship longer, that want to pray. Prayer teams will be over here by the stacks of chairs. Uh, so if you want prayer for any reason, you can turn to your small group or whatever, or we'll pray for you uh, over here. Just don't ever feel like you're, you're alone. Uh, but if you want to stay back and maybe you want to just make an altar out of your chair, or you just need to, before you go into the craziness of your day, you just want to spend another five, six minutes just <sighs> before you go out. Then we always sing one more song after dismissal. No pressure if you're like, man, I got to hit the buffet before the line gets there. No pressure if you need to head out. Uh, it doesn't make you more spiritual if you stay, but we want to offer that to you. So let me pray for us. Uh, and then we can uh, dismiss. If you want to put your hands out like this as a sign of surrender, if it's not too uncomfortable. Uh, God, we, one more time, we surrender to you, God. As a church, uh, we aren't, uh, it, it, the most important thing is not just us gathering, but there's, a, there's power in the church scattering, the church leaving. And so as we dismiss as a church service, would you help us go be the church now? All across Southern California, wherever our feet find us, wherever workplace, sports team, uh, HOA meeting, whatever you have us going to, God, I pray would we be light, would we be hope, would we be joy, would the room be better because we're there. And when we're there, the voice of God is there speaking through us. And so, God, I pray that wherever we go, would there be love, your love, would people feel like there's a connection to you there? And God, when you ask us to speak, would we be bold to speak for you. God, we love you. Use us. Send us out as missionaries now to make an impact for you. Speak through us and speak with us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.